Our reading this morning is from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. A few words of introduction about this passage first. Uh, this is a passage that begins with Jesus going up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. I'd like to give a little background on Passover as one of just one of the festivals that you see God command his people to observe in the Bible. Uh, there's Passover, there's another festival called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths. There's the, the Festival of Atonement or the Day of Atonement. Passover was probably one of the most important holidays or celebrations that the people of God had to follow. It was a reminder to them of how they had been brought out of Egypt, how they had survived the 10th plague that was brought on Egypt. And in that plague, they were to uh, sacrifice uh, a lamb in their own home, take its blood and put it on the doorposts, and then the angel of death would pass over their house. This was such a huge festival for them in remembering who they were because God was constantly reminding them, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. You're my people. And Passover was a big part of this. At the time of Jesus, there were people living, uh, Jewish people living all, not just in Israel, but all around the world, really, all around the Mediterranean, even in parts of the Middle East and in parts of Asia and in Asia Minor and parts of Africa. The Jewish people had been spread far and wide, and scholars think that there were about 7 million Jews in the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. There were about 70 million people in the Roman Empire, so it's possible that, that the Jewish population of the Roman Empire was 10%, which made them a really quite a large minority. It was in their well, it was commanded to them to come and celebrate the, the Passover uh, in Jerusalem. Not all of them had the means to do that. If they did, they'd have to save up for quite a while to save up enough money to make the journey to Jerusalem, to come to the, the, um, to the temple, and there they would um, sacrifice a lamb at the temple or have one sacrificed for them. It's thought that the population of Jerusalem was usually about 40,000 people, but during the week of Passover the population swelled to about 150,000 people in Jerusalem. So you can imagine that this relatively small town almost quadrupled in size in just one week as all these people converged from all the known world to Jerusalem to have a sacrifice there to, to observe Passover. And this is also then when Jesus arrives at Jerusalem. We'll see in our reading that Jesus shows up, but he doesn't observe the rituals and the festival as is commanded, but instead he stops the action in its tracks. And so pay attention to that and pay attention to Jesus explaining why he does this. John chapter 2, 13 through 22. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables, exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, 
What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine with me that for a special birthday or maybe an anniversary in your life, you decide that you want to take a special trip. And the special trip you want to take is that you want to go to Times Square in New York City and watch the ball drop on New Year's Eve. And you want to be there in that moment with all the confetti falling and Dick Clark and Ryan Seacrest now and rock bands and Mariah Carey, who seems to be there every year, and I don't know why, but there she is, she's always there. Uh, and all this excitement going on, and you're, you want to go. And so you start saving up your money for the plane fare. You want a nice hotel right there on Times Square, so you save up for that. Uh, you find out that you need tickets to get into Times Square on New Year's Eve, so you figure all that out, and you go and buy those. And then the time comes. A few days after Christmas, you get on the plane, you fly to New York, take a cab into the city, check into your hotel, and then on New Year's Eve, you might do a few other things. You take in a show, go to the Statue of Liberty, enjoy all the New York stuff, have a pastrami sandwich at that deli. It's really good. Then on New Year's Eve, you go to Times Square, and they let you in. People are everywhere, a lot of festivities. People wearing cr crazy hats and acting crazy and just having fun. And the, the anticipation and the excitement is everywhere. The energy is all around Times Square. And you're getting close at about 11.55 PM. And, and you know you just got a few minutes to go before New Year's, and you have all sorts of exciting things that you're thinking about. Imagine just at that moment that all of a sudden the music dies, all the lights come on, and the mayor of New York shows up at the podium and says, you know, we just figured out that this is the wrong time to celebrate New Year's Eve. It's, 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 we, did all, we did some research. The calendars are all wrong. So this really isn't New Year's. You're doing it all wrong. And... Um, you know, so there's really nothing to celebrate right now. So if you'd kindly just you know, follow the direction of all these nice police officers here and just kind of clear the area and just go on back, go on home. And the ball never drops and nothing ever happens. And you, you walk out of there. That, wouldn't be, that would be like such a memorable New Year's Eve, but for all the wrong reasons, I think. You'd be like, we went all the way to New York and they canceled New Year's, right? Something like that's going on here with Jesus at the Passover. This was a day that people all around the Roman world and beyond had been waiting for all year, and some of them all their lives, because they, they really couldn't afford to go every year. So they'd be saving up, and they'd be talking about it, and they'd be planning to go to Jerusalem to be at the temple, to sacrifice a lamb at the Passover, and to fulfill the law. And they were, they were wanting to do that. And you can imagine, even... 
pious and devout people that had come all this way were getting ready to do this. And, and they were just one of those extra 110,000 people in Jerusalem that week. And they really wanted to get there. But instead, this crazy person gets up in front of the whole temple and says, you're doing it all wrong. You can't do this anymore. You see, Jesus wasn't just objecting to the money changers and the people selling animals. And the reasons for that are kind of interesting. Turns out you, you had to bring a lamb to sacrifice at the temple. But if you came from Italy or Spain or something like that, it wasn't really practical to bring this lamb with you the whole way. You'd, it's a long journey. You'd have to feed it all along the way. Um, so you, would, you could buy one there. But you couldn't use regular Roman coins to buy it because those Roman coins had a picture of the emperor stamped on them. And those weren't allowed inside the temple because that was idolatry to have a graven image like that. So you could go to a money changer and exchange it and get temple coins, which were minted in a town called Tyre, which was on the, sea, on the seashore there uh, of Palestine. So once you got in with your exchanged money, and sometimes when you exchange money, you, you lose a little bit. The house keeps a bit, as you know. You go up and you find that um, this is kind of like airport prices. Once you get in there, you know, a, a Big Mac costs $5 now instead of $3 or $8, you know. And you're kind of grumbling because now that, that there's a perfectly good lamb outside the gates there. Maybe I should have, you know, no, nah, I'm in here now. Jesus comes in and he sees all these layers that people have to go through to get to the place where they want to have a relationship with God here at the temple. And he looks not just at the money changers and the animals being sold, but he is mad about that. He looks at that whole system and he says, this is completely broken. You can't do this anymore. And he, takes a, he makes a whip, and he starts whipping, I assume the animals, hopefully not the people, and starts whipping the animals, and this stampede goes through the temple. The, the mental image I have in my mind is every year they show the, they're probably stopping it soon, but every, every year there's that running of the bulls in Pamplona. And these crazy people are running down the street as fast as they can, and a few seconds later these bulls are chasing them. And uh, That's the image I get is of Jesus rousing all these animals, and they're charging through there, and all these people are, are going out, and then Jesus knocks over all these tables, and you can imagine the coins are clinking and clanging everywhere, and it's a real scene. And I think about the people who came hundreds or even a thousand miles and saved up all their life to be there at that moment, and here the Son of Man is saying, you're doing this all wrong. You can't do it this way anymore. The temple is broken. You're trying to meet God here in a way that doesn't make sense anymore. That's, in essence, what he's saying. Now, some of this, it, it really follows on from what we read in the first chapter of John. In John 1, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is saying, where you find God is different now. God has revealed himself in a new way. In the Old Testament, God was present in some very specific places. For Abraham, he came and visited Abraham at the edge of his tent, knocked on his door, in essence. There was God. For Moses, he showed up in a burning bush. Then he showed up in all these plagues. Then he showed up in clouds of, of, uh, of, of uh, fire and, and steam. Uh, when the Israelites built their tabernacle, 
in the wilderness. He lived there inside that. He sat on top of the ark. When they finally built their temple, Solomon built the temple for the Lord, the Lord lived in that temple. His presence was there. They called it the Shekinah. His, his radiant glory was there. That's where God was to be found, was in this particular location. Turns out that if you read Ezekiel, you'll find that there was a moment in Israel's history where God's presence left the temple because of the idolatry of the people. It says in Ezekiel that the glory of God departed from Jerusalem. And after that happened, that temple that Solomon had built, and had, which had stood for hundreds of years, was destroyed. And parts of it were carried away hundreds of miles away. Now, eventually some of those pieces came back and they, they tried to rebuild it. It never really amounted to much in those years between the exile and Jesus' time until Herod the Great, King Herod, the king who was king when Jesus was born, who ordered the the murder of all those young boys. He started a massive construction project. In fact, uh, the temple, as Herod was constructing it, was one of the biggest construction projects in the entire Roman Empire and one of the most expensive. The Romans were very invested in keeping the Jewish people happy because they're, like I said earlier, they're about 10% of the population. So the Roman Empire was taxing other people to build this massive, grand, temple. But Jesus is saying now, now in the New Testament, you're not going to find God in that temple anymore. As nice as it is, as how much money got poured into it, as big as the pieces are that went into it, as solid as it is, part of the foundation of that temple, you can go see it today in Jerusalem, there's a stone in that foundation that is 12 meters long, so about 39 feet long, about three meters high, three meters deep. It's one solid piece of limestone and is estimated to weigh 512 tons. It's part of the foundation of the temple. They don't even know how it got there. They don't understand the technology that people used back then to move these giant blocks around. I mean, they think maybe they put trees, really rounded trees underneath them and rolled them, but they, they had to come from some distance away. It was quite a project. The Jews look at Jesus after he whips everybody out of the temple and they say, tell us, who, just who do you think you are to do this? Who do you think you are? You must be somebody important, and so you better show us some kind of sign that you have the power, the authority to do this. And Jesus says, oh, I'll, I will give you a sign. It's going to be pretty good. He says, if you tear this temple down, I will rebuild it in three days. And I can imagine what the Jews were thinking, and this is exactly what they said. They said, it's, this thing has been under construction for 46 years. That big stone over there took five months just to move into place. We don't even know how it was done. We don't know if it was five months, but it had to have been a really long time. You're going to rebuild this place in three days? They probably thought he was crazy. We get this parenthetical comment from John as the narrator that the disciples understood after Jesus died and was raised again that the temple that he meant was his own body. The, the sign that he was going to give them, the authority that he had to, to change how worship was done and to change the place where God was found was his own death and his own resurrection. 
that was the miraculous sign that would, that would say, yes, I have the authority to say this and to do this. Because that's what he's saying. He's saying the temple is broken. It worked for a while. It was the place where you reliably found God and you would come in these seasons and you would sacrifice and you would do what the law commanded, but now something new is here. The word has become flesh. He's dwelling among you. The temple is right here in front of you. And where you find God is in me. That's where God is. John also talks about after Jesus departs again, that God is reliably found in community as well. He's found in the community of believers when Jesus has gone on to be in heaven. But he's pointing out something that really makes sense architecturally but also spiritually. You have to destroy something that's broken in order to build on top of it something that's new and that works. And Jesus is saying, your old ways are broken. And they not only need to be destroyed now by you spiritually, but they will be destroyed someday. And we know from history that that temple, as huge as it was, was finally destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman Empire. They, they, they gave up on that project. It was not working out for them. And so they destroyed that temple, and it hasn't been rebuilt to this day. There's just one tiny section of the outer wall of it left. We have to ask what it is that we can build on this, what Jesus is saying here. We may have places in our lives where we think that we can reliably find God. And maybe they're comfortable places. Maybe they're places that are familiar. They're places where we're in control because we, we know all the steps to get there. There may be rhythms in our lives, there may be seasons. Jesus may be coming into those places and saying, all that has to be torn down. You can't find God there anymore. You have to rearrange everything around me and find God in this temple. We think about how we worship. Think about this morning. Here we are. Most of you got here with the daylight savings time, I mean, there's one hour a week. People are telling me, somebody complained to me that we're only worshiping for an hour instead of an hour and a half. We can go to an hour and a half if, should we take a vote or? An hour is fine, an hour is enough. We're here for an hour a week. And what is that hour? Is this the hour where we meet God and the rest of the week is chopped liver? Or is this the hour where we learn about God and God's revealed to us? But the other 167 hours of the week is where God is present in the world. And the other 167 hours of the week is where we're worshiping God with every breath. Jesus is calling us to this radical rethinking about where God is, where we find him, where he goes. Let's go back to the Times Square. Imagine that it didn't end quite as bad as that, but that the mayor of New York said, What we got wrong about New Year's is that every day is New Year's. And what we got wrong about Times Square is that every place is Times Square. And so it's not that you made a mistake coming here. It's just that here and now, 
is everywhere and all the time. And as you left Times Square, they somehow magically took that ball down and created thousands of tiny balls that looked just like it and were just as bright as it. And as you left Times Square, they handed you one. And they said, take Times Square with you back to Los Altos, back to Seattle, back to wherever. And Times Square, and, and not only Times Square and the ball, that experience, that moment, that anticipation, whatever excitement that you had poured into that place, you could now take with you. And you couldn't, and it wasn't just that you could dust it off once a year and say, oh, this is great. Now I'm really experiencing this again. But as you left Times Square, the mayor said, every minute you can take this out. Every second this is with you. Every day this is going where you're going. And you are not only doing that, but wherever you go, Times Square follows. And so if somebody else that doesn't have this ball is in your presence, they're getting Times Square every minute of every day, every place that you go. Jesus is saying this about the temple. The temple's not that building. It's not this building. It's him. It's his life. It's his body broken and died and raised again and given to us. Sunday is maybe where we encounter God in a way that brings us clarity, in a way that brings us new insights. But every day, every minute, every other 167 hours of the week, God is with us. He's in community. He's around us. He's living inside us in the form of his Holy Spirit, and he's flowing out of us into the world. One thing we need to ask ourselves, um, and I think of that temple. That temple actually had a big change to it when Jesus died. In the Gospel of Mark, we read that at the moment Jesus died, there was a curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where God was thought to live. That that curtain was torn in half, but from the top to the bottom, which meant that no human being could have done it. It had to have some other source. And the question you can ask about that was, well, is that so um, people can get in at God? Or is it so that God can get out and get at people? And the answer is, yes. Yes, both. Absolutely. And you think about the way we do temple, the way we do church, the way we live the incarnational life that Jesus wants us to live. Is there something that we're doing that's putting up a curtain? Are we keeping people from having access to God in us? Are we keeping God bottled up inside of us so that he can't get out to the people who are around us? I want to close with one final thought about Jesus and buildings. He doesn't just talk about buildings here at the temple, but he talks about it, a future building in, in a different place that's based on community. And it's a word of comfort that he gives to his disciples in the Gospel of John. And it goes like this. He says, in my father's house, in that building, there are many rooms. And I go there ahead of you to prepare a place for you so that you may be with me, so that you may have community. Now, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about heaven as a, as a big house, as a temple maybe even, that has room for everybody. 
that has room that he's preparing so that we can find him there in his father's house and in community with each other. That's for the future. I hope I see that day. I hope the Lord comes before I die so I can go to that house. But even if I die on this earth, I know I'm going to see that house. Until that day, though, and that next building project that Jesus has, he calls all of us to take him with us as we go out the doors the other 167 hours of this week and to live him out into the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for the temple and his body, for him coming in the flesh for our world. Live through us into this world. In Jesus' name, amen.